0: her command for Theon at this stage is drink it's a, it's a, it's a two pronged approach to therapy this it's on the one hand if you're not going to get better kill yourself and on the other hand and also keep drinking
1: I was just on the cusp of being like being on team Sansa again and then she made some further poor life choices
0: as I was watching, like Ian McShane wandering around, like slapping people on the back and everyone working together and cheerfully ladling out bits of soup and stuff, I actually almost heard you in the back of my mind saying, "I just heard this voice of Dave going, "Oh, they're all going to die." <laughs> Hello, welcome to Shark Live Royal. I'm Matt,
1: I'm Dave Hello,
0: and today we are discussing uh, it's actually episode seven. Of uh, the uh, Game of Thrones season six, called "The Broken Man." Um, as ever, we discuss this from the point of view of a couple of book readers who have read all the books, as far as actually past *Dance with Dragons*. We've done the Windsor Winter* chapters as well, yeah. haven't we? Yeah, yeah. Um, we've
1: done. The, we've come back for come back for more. Yeah. We've eaten the smorgasbord, board. We've gone through the buildings, <laughs> and we've come back for some cheese and crackers. That's how that's how into it, *Game of Thrones* we are. <laughs>
0: Yeah, although there is, apparently there is a mince that's arrived with the bill, because there's another chapter which we haven't looked at yet, so we may have to do that at the end of the series. Absolutely. Mm. Um, that, that George, the tease, releasing another <laughs> chapter. Is that like half the book is released now? Yeah, well, like no,
1: that. it's half of a normal-sized book, but it's, it, yeah. I think it constitutes a mere limbering up. This yeah. is just, this is just the, the four strokes, the attempts.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so this is done from the point of view of um, having read the books so if you're worried about book spoilers and things like that, um, this is your sort of early warning for that. We also enter the bunker full of spoilers at the end of the podcast. Hey. We do play a bit of music just to sort of trunk, sort of give you a warning of that as well in case you you want to avoid but, fan theories. Uh,
1: have um, you noticed this as well though? That we call it the bunker full of spoilers because that's what it was for the whole series, but it's now the bunker full of increasingly wild-eyed poorly informed fan theories <laughs> <It's> <laughs> or even even the, like the 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 bunker full of Things which in one week seem unbelievably implausible, and then two episodes later, such as the pace of the plot now in the TV series, turn out to be absolute nailed-on certainties for <laughs> what's going to happen.
0: Well, this is this is the problem now that the plot um, and, and the series, series six, because it's moved beyond the books, is mercilessly shelling the bunker full of spoilers. <laughs> it's scored a scored a direct hit last week with Benjamin Stark isn't dead. And, um, and scored another direct hit this week with uh, with the stuff around Sandra C- Clegane. So um, the, yeah. the, I'm trying to get through the Bunker Full of Spoilers as quickly as possible before <laughs> um, they all just get revealed in this series anyway. <laughs> we're but, just yeah. going to have
1: to sit and do some... Do, like, we're just going to have to do like an epic Bunker Full of Spoilers section on this one where we just <laughs> go through... Every of wild, poorly <laughs> informed thing that's ever been speculated about A *Song of Ice and Fire*, just yeah, so we don't get spoiled by the next episode of the TV series.
0: Yeah. Well, anyway, let's uh, more on that here as we get into uh, episode seven. We start with a cult. What's called a cold open. So, like mm. before the sort of intro begins, you see a bit of a bit of action, which doesn't normally happen in *Game of Thrones*. It's a device used by a lot of other series, but not so much this one. And. um we're in kind of like green happy land it's almost the shire without the hobbits i was going to say that down yeah. to the music
1: isn't it like it's, yeah. it's this like really beautiful kind of pastoral everything's lovely here scene yeah. which you know su- such is my <laughs> such is my twitching fearfulness now in the story <laughs> universe that i was just, after about 3 seconds and hearing the the fact that the music was going on in sort of a major key like an upbeat kind of a way i was going You're going to be dead. You're going to be dead. You're going to be
0: dead. You're all going to die. (laughs) That's really funny because as I was watching like Ian McShane wandering around like slapping people on the back and everyone working together and cheerfully ladling out bits of soup and stuff, I actually almost heard you in the back of my mind saying, (laughs) I just heard this voice of Dave going, well, they're all going to die! <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Matt. I've got in your head. That must be a horrifying experience. Yeah,
0: but as we'll see, you are absolutely right. Um, you know the show very, very well by now. Um, yeah. But yeah, so we're, we're in we're in rural Happyland. Everyone's working together to build. I don't know what it is. Some kind of tower. Might be a. Might even be a sept. I don't know if it's got seven sides. looked um, a bit like it, didn't it? He was yeah.
1: definitely the again. Ian McShane, fantastic cameo. Yeah. but um he was uh, he was carrying off with the um the seven pointed star on his chest and stuff wasn't
0: he yeah yeah um, i suppose that the reason obviously the, the cold open bit is just a very short um section where it's revealed that one of the people here is sander Clagaine, the hound um i assume they did that at the start a because it sort of it's wrong foot's you a bit because it's so the tone's so different to the rest of the series um, and also they have his name obviously on the Opening credits, so it'd have been a bit of a spoiler <laughs> for people paying attention.
1: Yeah, well, I was actually spoiled for that. I didn't see his name, but I saw um, uh, uh, Jerome Flynn, who plays Bro. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, he's still alive, is he?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, there's that as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, once we pass the other side of the credits, there's, there's a bit more detail about them all working together. We're introduced to Septon, I think it's Septon Moribald, who is in the books. Um and as far as we know it's still alive in the books actually. Um mm. and that that's the Ian McShane character or uh Swaringen from um Deadwood or Lovejoy if you're from Britain.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's it. I never watched I never watched Deadwood. So it was really weird to me that Ian McShane has this role, like this like this successful kind of later career thing in America because all I remember him as is sort of Sunday afternoon TV sort of what was it he was he was an antiques dealer that also solved crimes wasn't he
0: <laughs> something like that yeah
1: <laughs> and his whole purpose was to be there and just sort of smolder and be be you know the sort of housewife's choice yeah yeah and now now he's got this you know fantastic career in, in American TV yeah, fair play fair play
0: apparently he got into a lot of trouble online um, because in one of his interviews before this series began, he said, oh, I'm, I'm um, I'm involved in, I'm I'm only in for a short amount of time, but I'm involved in bringing back, um, a well-loved character. And everyone kicked off of him on Twitter over it. So he ended up sort of biting back saying, oh, it's just tits and dragons anyway. What are you worried about?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it does my heart good to hear somebody who's actually worked on the show go, let's be honest though.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, we get this it, I like this exchange with, I mean, Sander Clegane, so he's alive, which is obviously a big reveal um, mm. and he's going out he's going at this log with an axe, like a man possessed I've never seen anyone chop wood like I think the actual um, sept, the Septon Morribald says this, I've never seen anyone chop wood like that he's, just, <laughs> he's attacking it like he would have be attacking a person, it's, it's great
1: Yeah, I it, 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 hate it's it's a shining light though, isn't it? In these these dark economic times, to find that you know some skills are transferable. You know, <laughs> if you were once good at hacking people to pieces, yeah. consider a career in forestry.
0: You know? <laughs> yeah, um, we get a bit of character development for for the Septon as well. He's um, he's got quite a. I don't know. This feels quite a. I don't know if it is, but it feels quite a modern take on religion. What this guy's got. The sort yeah. of agnostic, deist kind of, I'm a, I'm in the seven, but you know what? There might be something in all the other gods that just believe in a, a higher purpose. It yeah. feels very sort of, I don't know, like new agey. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that's quite interesting, yeah. Because I think there's a, um, I think that's definitely one way of reading it. Um, the way I sort of read it, or the way I, re- I kind of responded to it was sort of, I quite like somebody who acknowledges that when you're dealing with, you know, spiritual and philosophical things, at a certain point, you're never going to know for certain what the answer is. Mm. But that can paralyze you or it can kind of, it can mean that you just, you take a look at what's in front of you and decide whether it's worth following or not. Yeah. And yeah. and just sort of live in, in a sense, kind of be constantly walking into your faith. And yeah. I think that's a, I always respond to characters who are doing that, you know, where, where you know, kind of... Um, you know, a lack of certainty doesn't mean a lack of compassion for your fellow man. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and so I, so I, I mean, obviously, I was supposed to. He's enormously charismatic when he's doing this sort of thing. You know. Yeah. Um, uh But um, yeah, so I quite like this scene. For all that, as you rightly say, I was sitting there going, "You're going to die. You're going to die. <laughs> You're, You're going to die. die. <laughs> You're going to die. You're definitely going to die. You, you've died once already, but that doesn't mean anything."
0: Yeah. So the the, the way he uh, the hound was was saved, or uh, Santa Game was saved is um this septon Maribald found him and he <laughs> quite like how he says I thought you were dead. I lifted your body up in your cough that nearly shit myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but, but what what do we think about um about this guy coming back? Uh were you surprised and um do you think it's a a good move in terms of the story? Um
1: i 'm interested because it means that there is some complexity in the hound which is presumably going to be examined a little bit more um so i you know I found that quite interesting because he is this interesting character who's kind of brutalized but um still alive enough to know that that's that that's a bad thing yeah you know and hes and he is an interesting character who is completely wedded to the idea of violence as a solution and yet doesn't have the same kind of deceitful grandstanding that I think lesser men would have in that sort of situation. So he's done horrendous things. But, you know, when somebody comes over and says, you know, how did you die? He doesn't go, oh, well, yeah, there were three of them. They came at me. <laughs> well, I say three. Actually, six of them, big lads. <laughs> you know, he goes, yeah, how, you know, how many did it take to bring you down? He goes, one. And he goes, must have been a big lad. And he goes, it was a woman. Hmm. And, you know, there's something... I don't know, nihilist? No, not nihilist, because that's, that's not hopeful enough. But, but you know, there's just something a little bit kind of like... There's just something realistic in how he's dealing with his situation that I quite liked. Um, yeah. But I do sort of want to see him grow a bit more, because, you know, it's undeniable that while he's a, an interesting character, he's been attached to the least interesting storyline in this entire story universe mm-hmm. for really quite some time. So, yeah, you know, like... Uh, well, we'll see what happens to Arya later on, in the, later on in this episode, but honestly, you know, if what happens to her hadn't happened to her, I would be terrified now that they were about to meet up again and carry on their yeah. long, aimless, purposeless walk around Westeros.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, we move over to uh, the Sept, the Great Sept, over in uh, King's Landing, where Marjorie is reading some prayers, yeah. um, and the... The High Sparrow comes in for a word with her. If um, if Ian McShane's character is the more sort of, you know, smiling modern end of the, the Seven, then uh, the High Sparrow's taking it right back to the old school. He's, <laughs> he's coming right out of the Middle Ages with this. Um, yeah. The a, a woman's duty is to um, surrender her body to the man. Jeez, and all this.
1: yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. Mind you, I mean, I suppose Jonathan Price is a good enough actor to pull off you know, that kind of vaguely non-threatening, benevolent smile when saying, what, what is it? He's like a, pri- a wife's primary duty is not desire, it's patience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody hell.
0: Yeah. So he's basically saying, look, you've got to sleep with Tom and I know you've stopped doing it. Why? And Marjorie's saying, oh, the desires that drove me in the past aren't there anymore and all this. And, um, and he also... Do think
1: she was driven by a particular desire for Tom? It didn't look a lot like it to me.
0: Yeah, I think it was. Pro- I think probably what she means by that is more my sort of old desire to wield power through him and use that as a way of doing yeah. it is no yeah. longer there. Um, yeah. But yeah, and then he, the High Septon, pretty much threatens the Queen of Thorns as well. He's like, "You got to It basically says, "You know, you got a really nice grandmother. Be a shame if anything would have happened to her." It <laughs> sounds like a mafia boss. Yeah. <laughs>
1: but again with a sort of softly spoken home counties english yeah sort of accent but yeah you're right he's pretty intimidating isn't it
0: yeah he's basically saying she's got to repent So marjorie's like oh yeah i'll i'll speak to her um yeah,
1: yeah and then there's just a little glint in his eye isn't it where he gets into his sort of you know um uh good fella's thing like you can <laughs> almost he's that close to being like fuck you pay me
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so she goes to talk to uh the queen thorns um and she's she's having this chat and she's still got this sort of wide-eyed um you know um very sort of true believer appearance marjorie and you know queen of thorns is saying about all this you know what's happened to you and and what about loris and marjorie's all like oh yeah well He's he's got to repent as well. I, yeah. I've got to be honest. She did it so well here. By by, I think it was by this stage. I I started thinking: Is she genuinely? Is she genuinely just sort of completely turned around here? Is that what they're saying? Because I'm not sure. I believe it from a character in the past, but the performance of the last couple of episodes is really really strong to to suggest that. And then yeah. just when when I was thinking that, she passes this. N- she quietly passes this note over, which is this drawing of this flower, um, to show that she's basically, you know, her loyalty is still to the Tyrells. It's just she's playing some kind of long game here. And as, as soon as the Queen of thought sees that, her she sort of softens and says, all right, okay, I'll leave. I'll be off then. I'll be off, yeah. Uh, what do you think of all this then?
1: Um, yeah, well, like I said last week, I just find it a little bit difficult to believe, really, Um anything that she is doing or appears to be doing, like, so so deceitful a character is she being, I now just sort of watch her go past going, yeah, I see you yeah, yeah, yeah. don't talk, no talking <laughs> from you you know, like I just I just don't, you know, I don't have a lot of faith at all um, so, but it was interesting and I thought that when the moment came for her to sort of indicate that she really is um, you know, that she really is kind of Still, who she was, and that she still does care for her grandmother. Mm. I actually thought the moment was really well acted because yeah, because it's this is there seems to be this one relationship that she genuinely and unambiguously gives a shit about, right? Mm. Um, you know, with Tom and she doesn't care, and the High Sparrow she's just manipulating and she despises Cersei and all of this. But this is a grandmother, and this person from whom she gets quite a lot of her character, and she's really, She does seem to be sort of genuinely frightened for her, mm. and so I, I really, really bought that sort of character moment.
0: Yeah. I think she's a little bit frightened for herself as well, because this is very this is the sort of ultimate casting off the training wheels here, isn't it? Because yeah. um the Queen of Thorns is a formidable political operator and she's in the city working to help Marjorie. And Marjorie's mm. basically saying here, you know, I got this, you 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 look after yourself and it's obviously it's to protect her, but at the same time it's she's she's sort of Pushing away the only obvious support that she's got, and she's sort of drifting on her own now, isn't she? It's a, it's a, it's going to be a. It's a difficult to see exactly what the plan is. I assume it's some kind of bring down the system from within here, maybe through sort of doing things like um, saying, "Oh, my faith has told me that I can't sleep with you anymore," to to Tom, and it's a way of driving a wedge between the two. He's sort of he's got his he's got his he's got his hot wife bike but she doesn't want to sleep with him anymore. That's um,
1: mental. But yeah, could be. I mean, you know, never never underestimate um what she's like. Yeah. I tell you what I thought of though actually thinking of this was um Well, two things actually. The first was if you're right and this is part of a sort of all part of a broader power play, you can well imagine Marjorie becoming the sort of Like trying to become the High Septon herself. Right? Wouldn't that be amazing? Like 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 um uh it was it was there was there was um you know, just the least appropriate kind of candidate for this job. Like um like one of the popes in the Middle Ages who was eighteen years old and got the job because his dad was a Medici. Yeah. And um uh, and was uh was less than Less less than chaste in his uh, in his practice of the of the office. Um, <laughs> just imagine Marjorie trying to carry off actually running the church, running the faith. It would be <laughs> it would be a sight to see.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That um, that could be an ultimate goal, I suppose, isn't it? Because part of her. Um part of what would work about that, about her sort of basically out the High Septon, <laughs> is, that, is that she's got the sort of population on her side, hasn't she? So I, I kind of get the feeling that the High... High sorry, High Septon, High Sparrow. The High Sparrow and this sort of scepter who's there kind of know that this isn't entirely legit, but there's nothing they can really do about it. It's not, it's not sort of a, a an attack that they really expected or know how to deal with.
1: Yes, yeah, that's true. That's true, and yeah, I mean, if nothing else, it promises a new and different kind of intrigue, which mm. I'm I'm always up for in mm. uh, in Game of Thrones.
0: Mm. Uh, we get a short scene next, which is a, a discussion amongst the wildlings with uh, Jon and Tormund and Sansa. Uh, just, I mean, it, it's just a quickly just to show the sort of wildlings just questioning whether they should actually fight for the. Um, for the Starks here. I think it kind of did need to happen. This it's quite useful to have this scene. It's kind of strange that it's happened after they've all left and sort of set off on the road together. But I don't know. I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I, I thought it was, I thought it was good because you have to kind of, you have to carry on explaining Sansa as a political animal. Hmm. Um, you know, like I un- I understand where she's coming from on this, but there there was a moment um, later in this scene where she um, she decides to, who is it she decides she needs to contact? Um, oh, we don't know, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But she sends off this letter when both John and uh, Sir Davos have been like, no, nah, pro- probably don't do that. Yeah. Um, she sends off this letter anyway. And for me, that was so much of a reminder of what, what the first episode was like. Mm-hmm. You know, or was, this, was it the second episode where she sold her dad out to because she wanted to sleep with <laughs> yeah. Joffrey, basically? Yeah. Like, I was just like, woman, have you learned nothing? <laughs> I was just on the cusp of being like being on Team Sansa again, and then she made some further poor life choices.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll discuss that shortly. But yeah, that's um, yeah. that was a, that was one of those things that seems like a gamble, uh, and also maybe not the greatest movie in the world, and also. Entirely in her character, so um, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. We move on to uh, what I've dubbed QT Cersei Smackdown, which is the (laughs) Queen of
1: Thorns. (laughs) You just love describing all of these complex character interactions (laughs) in terms of early 90s SNES fight em up. (laughs) It is,
0: that is another one, actually, isn't it? Yeah, QT Cersei Smackdown. Um, (laughs) so basically, Cersei comes over to say to the to uh, to the queen of thorns. Come on. You can't leave. We've got to work together to sort this mess out that I that I created. And the queen of thorns is having none of it. She basically calls her out saying, this is all your fault. Um you might be the worst person I've ever met. <laughs> Which is great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and mind you, in this story universe <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. It's funny because she's like, you might be the worst person I've ever met. It's hard to tell because like your memory dulls with age, but the truly vile people really stand out. And it's just constantly <laughs> one right hook after another, isn't it?
1: It's fantastic. I love Diana Rigg in this role. Like, the more I watch her in it, the more I'm like, you know, badass grandma. And she's so good at it. She's just so good at it.
0: Yeah. And she she lays a lot of um a lot of this out as well, which. It makes it very clear and I didn't really consider just how weak a position Cersei's in now, but mm. she 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 outlines it really well here, you know, Jamie and the Lannister Army is gone. Um the, her remaining family in King's Landing have basically decided not to associate themselves with her anymore. Um the, the obviously this this crazy fanatical sex that she raised as her own sort of personal force has turned against her. She's got, all that she's got left is this giant zombie guy, the um, the mountain. And and that's basically it. And at the end, yeah, the Queen of Thorns says, look, I'm off. And face it, you've lost. It's it's the one thing that's cheered me up in all this. <laughs> but I think this yeah. is quite useful just ahead of, she's got this trial by combat coming, hasn't she, Cersei? And it's just useful to outline just how vulnerable she is at the moment. C- could you see her not surviving the season? Cersei. Hmm.
1: Um, It would be a bit of a lame move to do that at this point. I I could certainly see him doing it because, you know, rule nothing out. Hmm. But there have been points where you would have got a far bigger, more cathartic reaction from it than now because she is this sort of reduced figure. So I think there's probably more sort of narrative juice in having her carrying on to try and be a sort of Eminence Grease behind the scenes Hmm. kind of, you know, puppet mistress Um, rather than because if you have her killed now, then it's just like, uh, oh, okay, all right, cool. Whereas, you know, the response you got when you killed Joffrey, for example, mm. um, was just so much more dramatic.
0: Yeah, 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 that's true. I, I do think maybe, I mean, we've we've had quite a few of the Joffrey-type deaths where it's suddenly out of nowhere, mm. um, and people almost at the height of their powers suddenly struck down. I yeah. wonder if it would be interesting to see sort of a decline and fall story as well over the course of a couple oh, yeah. of seasons. She just you know, sort of goes.
1: Yeah, I can see that actually, Matt. I think you're making a good point there. Like, yeah, because I'm, I'm forgetting. Like, I'm treating this like a soap opera, mm. and but actually, what they're trying to do is tell a tell a complete story or several complete stories mm. over about whatever it's going to be in the end, sort of seventy seventy five hours. Mm. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know. I think you might be onto something there. Actually, I'd be interested.
0: And we we'll move over to Jamie in the Riverlands. Um, we get to see um, how not to perform a siege <laughs> as we arrive at the Frey siege lines.
1: I love how shite the are, Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, we're not going to see them killed in this sort of orgy of uh, of catharsis, but they are just a bit rubbish, and that yeah. is itself quite entertaining.
0: <laughs> yeah, we get we, and as you say, we're reintroduced to Bronn as well, who's back. Yeah. Back from his Sojourn over to um, Dawn. Speaking of Dawn, yeah, this is what this is now seven or so six episodes without a, a, anything from them since they yeah. uh, had the revolution. They've just yeah, dropped we, it, haven't they? Thought, they really they're... have. It's hilarious,
1: <laughs> isn't it? They just—they've clearly spent a bit too much time on some message boards or been on Reddit a bit too much, and they've just gone. Everybody hates it. Do we strictly? Do we need it? <laughs> do we need anything? Kill (laughs) him! Kill
0: him! Yeah I think they probably either did this plot that they went down in in the first episode or maybe there's some cache of wildfire underneath the entire sort of peninsula of dawn and it just all blows up so it's just not there anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love it if they'd have actually that would have been much
1: better than just sort of going (laughs) right we've 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 had all of these powerful female characters kill the men around them, so they're now meaningless in terms of plot because, you know, <laughs> so... Fuck it. I <laughs> Much say, better if that it turned out to be living on top of a nuke.
0: I can see, like, a big board of it all saying, right, we've got to get rid of Dawn. How do we do it? And there's, like, there's the revolution one. Yeah, that seems the most realistic. What else have we got? Wildfire ex- uh, nuclear explosion? Mm, possibly. Could, could we get the White Walkers just to do like a little test run down there and then go north again? That's amazing. <laughs> White Walkers on tour, uh, abducted by aliens? Uh, yeah, possible. We'll put it down. Possibly, no, no idea is a bad idea. We've got to get rid of the dawn plot somehow. Let's yeah. just uh, get out.
1: Yeah, let's be completely clear about this. The design brief for this series: don't care what happens with the White Walkers, Jon Snow, Cersei, Arya, any of them. Do not care. Get rid of Dawn. Spike it. Reddit has spoken.
0: Yeah. So anyway, Bron's back. He's back to his old self. Um, I quite like how he's still getting promised more and more like better and better castles and lands and titles. And when Jamie tries to say... You know, you know the Lannisters always pay that he doesn't even finish his sentence and Bronn's like don't <laughs> fucking say <laughs> it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it. Yeah, Bronn Bronn is in his actions a fairly despicable human being, but I do like his his very northern ability to just be like, Nope, nope, yeah. nope, nope, nope,
0: nope. <laughs> yeah. Boof. So we move down into the middle of the fray siege lines. Um Edmure's horrendous hangover continues is his <laughs> Stuck That's on it Gibbet <laughs> <laughs> Um So yeah, he's there in a world of pain and misery. Yeah. Um and there's this brief discussion between the phrase and Jamie where Jamie basically says, you know, You're making a mess of this, I'm in charge now. There's the classic one sort of deferential guy and one angry guy who won't get it, so Jamie Backhands him with his with his golden hand. Classic.
1: That's pretty cold, eh? That's yeah. like that's that's that must be one of the moments where Jamie starts to be like, "Oh, do you know what? Maybe it's not such a bad idea having an enormous, heavy gold hand <laughs> instead of a hand."
0: Yeah, yeah. So they the, the whole point of the Edmure thing is they're trying to get the Blackfish to surrender by threatening to kill Edmure. But it seems very much that the blackfish is just ready to let him die. Um, that's. He, I think he's better, We hear a bit later on the blackfish says he's dead either way, so why don't you kill him now? Yeah. So it's not going to work. So <laughs> Jamie's like, take him away, give him a bath, you know for God's sake, give him an Elka seltzer or something. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's suffering. Uh, yeah.
1: so, I'd love it if you just, just kind of went up to him and just went, all right, lad's code here. Come on, let's get him a kebab. He's in trouble. <laughs>
0: yeah, two paracetamol. And, uh... <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah or, or even better, if he was a bit less southern about it, a bit more northern, just walked over and went, on, give him a drink of water and have a sit down. He'll be fine.
0: Come <laughs> and make him a cup of tea. Just yeah, give a <laughs> yeah just give
1: him a cup of I'm sure he'll be all right.
0: <laughs> Full English breakfast, that can help as Ah-ha! well.
1: <laughs> yes, egg, bacon, sauce,
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: fried sliced beans.
0: Beautiful. <laughs> oh, poor Edmure. I hope he gets a line at some point in this whole um, Yeah, poor season. bastard.
1: I mean, this this particular actor, I don't know his name, but he's made quite a lot of quite a lot of appearances, at least, mm. you know, as sort of all-purpose, vaguely foppish, slightly malevolent, posh guy, number six. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: So he was perfect for for the Edmure role, but I do hope he gets a single line before he gets killed.
0: (laughs) I'll tell you where he turned up. I only noticed um, the last time I watched it. He's in the thick of it. He's one of the uh, people on the panel, you know, when the Inquiry's on. Um, He's a guy called Simon Weir. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Oh, I tell you, actually, I've got got an even better cameo than that in this episode... Did you notice um, who played Robert Glover? No. It's Tim McKinney. It's It's Captain Darling. It's Lord <laughs> Percy.
0: Get out. Is it really? Seriously,
1: go and have a look at it. It is from Blackadder,
0: yeah. That's amazing. I, I, I would I never have guessed that.
1: And he nailed it as so well. Like I was yeah. honestly, when I saw the shape of his face, I was like, am I going to be able to buy him in this role? And he was
0: fantastic. Yeah.
1: But I was I was still kind of expecting him to just twitch a little bit. And 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 kind of go, you know.
0: <laughs> That's mad, yeah. He's so different. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. good, oh, good for him.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> um, we get the first round of um, Stark lords negotiations first, where we go over to Bear Island um, as uh, the new Lord or Lady of Bear Island is this little kid. Oh, um, she was brilliant wasn't she Ah, oh, yeah she was wasn't she yeah um and it's so it's just so strange to see a child in that position but i thought it was a great example as well of sort of the cost of the that that the wars had on the north so far yeah. you know you got a basically you know this little preteen kid who's running the entire island here, you know yeah um.
1: and and boss in it as
0: well yeah could, pissed off could not yeah exactly
1: like a bit pissed off for all the right reasons as well not pissed off because well I'm a child and I shouldn't have to do this but pissed off because you bunch of incompetence what were you doing with my men you know like she absolutely takes him to school
0: yeah,
1: um, yeah. I tell you what I really loved about this scene was um, one of the things we've noted obviously is that like Game of Thrones casts all of these actors you know At the start of the series, sort of four or five years older than they are in the books. Mm. Because I think you'd have trouble believing Jon Snow being Lord Commander of the Night's Watch at 16 or whatever it is he's supposed to be in the book. Mm. Um, But um, so I love that this, they just used this scene as a little way of showing, like, because this happened. You know, there were places in Europe where there were, Mm. you know, child monarchs. um, And not all of them were terrible you know actually in England was it Edward II who came to the throne when he was about 12 or something yeah and like I mean he was a thoroughly nasty piece of work but you know was not an incompetent king in that sense yeah um,
0: had, a, had a run of young Edwards didn't he? I think Edward VII yeah. was he like a really young king as well be a, it yeah, a yeah. teenager no Edward the sixth. Edward sixth was yeah.
1: 11 I think 12 when he came to the throne
0: yeah
1: um, and sickly but so he, he he wasn't he wasn't that good at it but you know there's been this long string of child monarchs some Mm. of whom were all right you know and so i loved i loved this as a way of reminding us of that because in a way the book is all about that Mm. it's kind of all about this bunch of teenagers that end up having to run things um but um in the tv series obviously you can't cast for that because otherwise you end up with what we will call the the (laughs) goodness hasn't robin grown problem
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) the um so the, the, these negotiations, John tries the charm offensive, which doesn't work. <laughs> S- Sansa tries the "I'm a Stark" thing, which doesn't work because I like the comeback is. Uh, last I heard, you were a Lannister, or was it a Bolton? I can't quite remember. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's somebody. Somebody taught her the uh, the alpha female smackdown talk yeah. as well.
0: Yeah, but it's so it's up to Davos who comes through. And he does what was your impression was it last week the I've been a ruined and I know a thing or two. <laughs> but he basically does that again. Is that I got to tell you a couple of things. Is is in sort of Geordie, I've been a ruined I know uh, a thing or two. <laughs> I've seen a few things like you know. Um
1: I can't I'm I'm now slandering everybody I know from the northeast of England but he's I believe it to be a Sunderland accent actually it's not a Geordie Sunderland. thing it's, it's a Mackham uh, accent yeah.
0: Yeah. But yeah that that what that sort of uh you know calming and authoritative accent comes through again yeah. and yeah it's shot I've in. seen
1: some stuff young lady and I, I, I'll not ask you to do anything I wouldn't do myself you know <laughs> just just that's just that sort of like he's he kind of accepts that in some existential sense the war is lost so you might as well go on fighting it anyway it's just it's such a north of england attitude it's great. Yeah.
0: So he's basically, he's basically saying, I didn't expect to be in my position like you, but you know we are where we are. Come on, let's let's get together and do something good. Why not?
1: <laughs> it's a great argument, isn't it? Because you're right; it does add up to basically him just holding his hands out and just going, "Come on, get go on. no gone." Might as well, eh? Eh? Yeah.
0: Just I can just see him bringing her in as a hug and just nodding his head, going, "Shh, shh." Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, it's okay, it's all right, it's okay. <laughs> so, and I love this the, This last bit, which is great, where um, where she says, okay, it just it does the grand, right, um, we haven't abandoned you before, we won't abandon you today, you can count on our men. And John's like, great, how many How many can you provide? 62. <laughs> been <laughs> <they> really brave <laughs> that, that was amazing
1: and I love that she kept a straight face through that one as well there wasn't a <laughs> glance off to the side there wasn't a you You know we've disappointed you all there was was 62 and they're fucking hard as nails <laughs> I dare you to object
0: yeah so it's a win it's not a big win but you know they've got an extra 62 they've got. he's got a personal guard there if he wants it um, <laughs> there you go <laughs> So we we move back to Riverrun um for it's probably worth just noting just how how good Riverrun looks now. And we didn't see much of this castle before but um the sort of detail especially this drawbridge stuff as well. Yeah. I just thought it was a really oh, great yeah. location. Yeah, um, fantastic.
1: Do you, actually, do you happen to know do you reckon they built it or did they use a castle for it? Cuz it it I was a fantastic scene.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I'd imagine it's probably a combination of maybe like a castle and a bit of CGI on top of it. Yeah, probably. Thought. Um so yeah, Jamie meets the blackfish on the drawbridge and um, part of it is just getting a measure of each other as the as the blackfish says here, um, at the end. It's interesting when the drawbridge comes down, you see the blackfish and you see all these men behind him as well, and they all look sort of really rough and hard and angry. And I just thought that was quite That said a lot about sort of the defenders here as well. It's not you know the blackfish and then a load of sort of green frightened young boys. It's it's obviously he wants to give this impression, but it looks like it's a castle defended by veterans who aren't going to sort of capitulate easily. Yeah, um, which is interesting. Very
1: much, and that bloke as well. Like he was in, he's been in all sorts of stuff, but I always remember him from Spaced. (laughs) <laughs> um uh and he's just so good at being the sort of hard the hardest of the hardcore he's such the right choice for the blackfish you know what I mean he yeah. has no shits left to give.
0: Who so was he in space? He was he
1: was I'm he was I'm a massive wanker. He was the guy who ran the uh um, oh, yeah, book yeah. company. You know, with the, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bisley.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, I knew I'd seen him before but I didn't place him. Yeah. Yeah 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 so so there's this discussion um it's obvious that the blackfish has no trust at all in jamie He basically says i mean this is almost straight out of the books where he says why should i you know trust a word that a kingslayer says is he, his opening negotiations are great because he's like oh you're here to bring back my uh my my niece's my my my, my niece's kids and his uh Jamie's like no oh so you must be here to hand yourself back in to be a prisoner <laughs> No Oh, okay. <laughs> so they're the two things you've broken your vows over. So yeah, let's start negotiating. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, He's yeah, it is fantastic, isn't it? Because he he's he's a badass, Brendan Blackfish, but he's not an, a meathead at all. You know, yeah. he goes out there with a very clear diplomatic plan. Yeah, um, and nails it.
0: Yeah, and he basically says towards the end of this, it doesn't matter what you offer because I don't. But this because it doesn't mean anything because I don't believe a word you say. Uh, and I'm willing to die defending this castle. So that's that's how it is. And he basically says, Jamie says at the end, and this is out of the books, you know, why did you bother speaking to me at all if you're not gonna believe a word I say? And he's just like, well, sieges are boring, and I thought I'd just get a look at you and <laughs> I'm disappointed.
1: <laughs> get get a bit of a bit of entertainment out of it, eh?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean this is this is one of those ones where it is a bit better in the books because of two things. One, that um, there's obviously room for more of the discussion and he, the Blackfish really does run rings around him in the books and sort of yeah. almost just plays with him a bit more yeah. um, which is quite good fun. And also the book's great because you're in Jamie's head and yeah. it's it's all the more sort of bitter for him because the Blackfish is this uh, character who Jamie's really grown up admiring. is one of his heroes like uh, Barristan the Bold and all these other great knights the Blackfish had this reputation of being this really exciting and daring and you know a, a little bit sort of out from everybody else doesn't always do as he's told bit of a maverick but you know yeah. the kind the kind of guy that Jamie a young Jamie would really admire growing up yeah. so so this kind of thing really stings for him someone yeah. like that I think in the books he Jamie remembers, like, going to Riverham when he was a teenager and sitting near the Blackfish and wanting to talk to him but not knowing what to say and stuff. And that just gives you an extra level of depth that the series obviously can't do. And mm-hmm. it's probably just thought it was worth a mention.
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah.
0: Uh, we move on to the negotiations with the Glovers, which you've touched on before. Yeah, And, yeah, uh, these don't don't go well at all, do they? So um not even Davos can turn this one around. Yeah. Um, I thought I loved the exchange um about who's in your army where yeah. John says, um we've got, you know, we've got the Mormons and just the, the response uh from from Glover, where he just goes, and, and looks at him, like, really angry. Like, how dare you suggest that that's all you've got? Yeah. And then he, and then he goes, it doubles down and it gets worse. He says, oh, a load of wildlings as well. And you yeah. can just, the thing is, you're on John's side and yeah. you think Northern Lords should be loyal, but you can completely understand why this guy <laughs> is saying, yeah. absolutely not, get out.
1: Yeah, yeah yeah totally and and I think I, I thought it was really well acted because it was this you can totally see his dilemma as well because it's clearly killing him to renege on a vow of this sort mm. but that's the problem they've got now is that it's the end of a long poorly focused badly run war mm. where everybody everybody went out the first time they were called and it turned to shit
0: yeah yeah
1: um, whereas and and so now they're just like well you know ultimately what you're asking me to do there is keep running when I've lost both feet. You know, yeah. like, that's, I, can't, I can't do that right now. Yeah, um, And so I, I completely understand where he's coming from. And it was also another great example of the sort of coldly righteous fury that people who don't know about the difference between a wildling and a white walker mm. feel. About yeah. the fact that this force is made up of wildlings, you know so we saw it with Randall Tarly last week, and we see it more this week from a character who's slightly less tainted by associations, yeah, but it is this sort of like because to most people they think white walkers are a myth, and the whole reason the wall exists is that these complete bunch of psychopaths north of it <laughs> and and then he brings them through the wall and they 're like what the what 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 yeah, what you know in sheer exasperation and rage um and it 's frustrating to me that that John isn't. In most of these scenes, nobody's saying, "Yeah, yeah, think about it though. would we really have needed a seven f- seven hundred foot wall of ice to keep out people who, as it turns out, swing a sword roughly as well as we do? Yeah, you know, but nobody makes that argument, I'm finding that a bit frustrating at this point
0: yeah, yeah, and i i, I was I really um was interested in just the the residual bitterness that's still there as well around how they lost that war and Rob, and basically, it's not like they went to war and they were defeated and then, you know, bad things happened. It's basically, they went to war, they were in a good position and then it all went to shit because of a mistake that just no one can quite understand how you could make such a... It's basically, Rob couldn't keep his cock in his trousers. Yeah. And that's <laughs> yeah. why like everybody got killed. And it's a, it's a, little, a little harsh on Rob, but you can yeah. completely understand from a sort of political point of view. I mean, we spoke about this when it happened, uh, when yeah. Rob is having all this trouble, um that that sort of teenage boy decision to run off and get married um yeah. completely sort of lost all authority that he had and made everybody who was following him think, you know what, we are just following some teenage boy here. He's not a leader, he's not actually a serious leader.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's a bit Yeah, I understand where everybody's coming from on it. Obviously, I liked Rob, so I would argue, you know, he's 15 or whatever it is, you know, like, he gets to make a few mistakes and he won a few battles, so surely that counts in his favour. But ultimately, Mm. yes, he did some really, really stupid things, Mm. you know?
0: Yeah, and it's just, it's funny that that, it doesn't just lose you the war, it loses your support in the long term as well, because people don't forget it. They don't forget, sort of, how, how it was lost, so... Yeah, John's having to pick up the pieces from from that, and it's yeah. Who would have expected that at the start of the series? Yeah, yeah. Move over to Valantis. Our first look at Valantis. We don't get much of a look at it, um, and it's it's not quite like we would we've seen in the books. But it's just we see this basically just see one whorehouse, don't we? In Valantis, it's yeah. the I, Ironborn uh, having a bit of R and R. It turns out that Yara likes the ladies.
1: Yeah, so I saw.
0: Yeah, which and actually, actually um, is quite interesting. Just just very quickly for the broader plot of her going to Marine to try and get Daenerys on board. But you
1: know. <laughs> there it is. That's why they fantastic, absolutely <laughs> fantastic, amazing. That's how they're doing it. Yeah. What an elegant way of of unifying those storylines and you know cutting out an entire. Purposeless trek to the east. Yeah, um, mm. that would be an interesting one, wouldn't it? Imagine mm-hmm. that coming off because um, because Daenerys. I mean, and they clearly, they, you know, they put it in because because lesbian sex scenes make people watch TV shows. But that happened in the first series, didn't it?
0: Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it happened it, in the TV series. It happened in the books. No,
1: it definitely did happen in the TV series. I oh, well. did it. Was there a bit yeah, of TV series or, stuff? or something? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think. I'm, I'm like surprised.
0: Out. I'm surprised I don't remember that. To be honest, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm not sure that it says anything terribly positive about me that I do remember that with <laughs> such certainty. But there we go. <laughs> but yeah,
0: um, yeah. So there's a, a general. So everyone's everyone's having a good time, and of course, there's always one person who's the ghost at the feast, and it's uh, it's Theon. <laughs> it's it's poor poor Dickless Theon not enjoying himself, is he? <laughs> <laughs> if. Uh, If you've been castrated, Dave, the last place you want to end up, um, especially if he used to be the kind of guy who liked to shag around a lot, um, you don't really want to go back to somewhere like this, do you? So he's sitting there all depressed, (laughs) (laughs) staring into his drink.
1: And I can't blame him for that, really.
0: Yeah, well, it's great Um, because Yara moves into sort of uh, Yara's therapy 101, where she basically says, look, either cheer up or kill yourself, <laughs> which I don't think is a particularly good approach to someone who's mentally traumatised, but... Yeah, it, really, South it's, it's
1: whatever, whatever kind of love and care is <laughs> on a spectrum, whatever spectrum that's on, that's at the other end of it, isn't it? Yeah.
0: yeah. You're not
1: feeling well, you might as well just do yourself in. <laughs> yeah. Or stick around and do what I tell you to do, eh?
0: Yeah, so, so Yara's commanding... Uh, her command for theon at this stage is drink it's a, it's, a, it's a two-pronged approach to therapy this it's on the one hand if you're not going to get better kill yourself and on the other hand and also keep drinking so um
1: <laughs> it's a it's a we could call this creditably we could call this a very 1950s therapeutic approach couldn't we?
0: Yeah. I wouldn't like to see the success rate but um anyway
1: yeah. I'd like to see the uh, the training video for it to yeah. be honest <laughs> I'd like to, I'd, you know, this sort of office training video. Remember, if you ever feel sad or depressed, it's never going to improve. And it's better to kill yourself now than become a burden to your nearest and dearest.
0: <laughs> yeah, I do like, uh, in, as part of her pep talk, she says to Theon, I know you've had some bad years. And he goes, bad years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was fantastic,
1: wasn't it? No. <laughs> bad bad years, I think we might at this point be stretching the use of the word bad and we may need to search for other superlatives, such as terrible or nightmarish or unbelievably life destroying,
0: eh? Yeah. Bad years is what happens to someone who doesn't get a promotion and gets a divorce That wasn't what happened to me Anyway, yeah So, But we, we get a bit of... Um, we get a bit of detail of what the plan is here. The broad plan is to sail to Marine to um I assume seduce Daenerys. Um But at the uh at the moment, what they're gonna do before that, uh Yara's gonna wander off and have a shag. Uh, we then go back to Jon Snow and uh Sansa and friends. They've uh they've set up camp in a, a good place. Apparently, according to Davos, this is where Stannis camped at one point as well, because it's uh, good ground. You have got the mountains at the back, which are good cover. You have got water for the horses. All, all the, all the trappings of a nice camp. all mod cons. Yeah, uh, and horrible snow and stuff as well. But um, it's it, there. It's not looking good, is it? Here, I mean, there's a lot of infighting. The wildlings are fighting with the um. With the other men, there's a, there's this fight going on, which Davos runs over to break up, and I love it because it just cuts back a bit later on, and Davos has pulled them apart, and this guy just spins around and goes, "Who the fuck are you?"
1: <laughs> <laughs> I did love that.
0: That was, I, I mean, may,
1: maybe that says something about the life I've led to this point. But there was a lot of, yeah, that's a Friday night out, isn't it? <laughs> about that, just some places where I've been for a night out. It's exactly that. Somebody gets in to try and get involved and make make peace but somebody's having none of it.
0: Yeah. yeah. Who the fuck
1: are you? I, I was quite sad, though, that I didn't see Davos regulate in that situation, because you know that yeah. he's got to have a punch on him like an iron bar. Yeah. But but we didn't get that scene, and i just love to see Davos kind of laying down the law a little bit. You know, We've seen yeah. him be avuncular, and now I want to see him just sort of be like, sorry, son, you what?
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, I, th- I thought Sansa in this scene, um, in the last couple with the negotiations she's tried to almost be sort of bad cop and um, say you've got to join us because of this and it hasn't worked and I thought in this scene she was she's starting to sort of dangerously slide back to sort of Moni Sansa yeah, and she's she's wandering around next to Raw, Ro- uh, next to John. She said, "Oh, so Davos is your most trusted guy now, is he? The guy who was with Stannis before." And oh, we've only got this, and oh, isn't this rubbish? And John's like, yeah. "I'm doing my best. Come on." Yeah, well, and plus, it's not clear to
1: me where Sansa gets her strong opinions on military strategy. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, where is she? Where is she been such that she would have witnessed how to actually run a campaign?
0: Yeah you know what I mean? She does at least have a, a solution that she suggests where she says, you know, if we just go down to the Sirwins, they'll come on board. And John's like, we've not got time. This is all we've got. We're going to have to go with this. Yeah. And you can see why she's... You can see why she's obviously despairing a bit because it's clear they don't have the numbers. Mm. And this is why she jots off this letter. Um, now, there's been a few theories around who she's writing to here. I think the most obvious one is to Littlefinger to get the Knights of the Vale over here to Mm. bolster them. Obviously, Littlefinger said, I've got an army, I'm ready to help you. And she said, no, I don't trust you anymore. But now, you know, needs must. Jeez. It it could be uh, to Riverham, to the Blackfish. What,
1: he'll go, dear niece. Fantastic that you're still alive, somewhat preoccupied by enormous army surrounding my position, which, while well fortified and stocked, doesn't really allow me to get away for holidays. Lots of
0: love, Uncle Bryn. Yeah, she's also she's already sent Brienne down there, so I'm not sure um, why she... Yeah, what's sent, that about? Uh, I don't know. Um, a- another theory that someone came up with, I think it was Baldwin who came up with this, was that she's writing to Ramsay. To basically call him out because she knows that they've got a good a good defensive position here. She's oh, saying to him, come, Fucking hell come and have Can a you go if you're hard enough. Yeah. Can you imagine?
1: I do you know what? Any other character I'd be like now, nah, they wouldn't be that stupid. Sansa would be precisely that <laughs> stupid.
0: I don't even think Sansa would do that without first consulting with the others. Because what's she going to do? Just sort of not mention it. And then as they're all sort yeah. of heading out, they'll get caught on the words anyway. Yeah, I was going to say. But you could sort of imagine it, <laughs> you know. I, I th- I'm I pretty sure this is to... If I was to bet, I'd say this is to Littlefinger. I could see a little bit from, do you know, the close-up of the letter. And there's something like, fulfill your promise in the um, in the writing there. Which obviously tallies well with Littlefinger's promise to do whatever he can to help her. Mm. So I'm pretty sure that's where it's going. I'm not sure how loyal he is still, Littlefinger, but um, I, I think that's the way it's going to go anyway. You've got the uh, Lords of the yeah. Vale coming in. Finally, we get to see them do a bit of fighting.
1: Yeah. Uh, so Even though one of them's played by that bloke who read out things badly in uh, in Four Weddings and a Funeral. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, still alive. Just still, he's still going. Yeah. Despite the fact that his lord is mental. <laughs>
0: uh, we then go back to uh back to happy greenland with Septim Maribald. Um he gives this uh almost like sermon where he talks about his old life. He used to be a soldier. Um he uh killed on command, stole on command, you know, all this sort of stuff. And then he had a sort of Attack of conscience, and decided to leave. Um, and he says, "It's it's never never too late to come back. Never too late to start sort of trying to make things better." Yeah. Um. It's almost directed directly at the Hound. This isn't it. Yeah. And I kind of get the feeling that Sanders pretty much on board with this. He's got the chance to make a new life. Is he's, he's obviously not part of the group yet because he doesn't he doesn't really want to engage with people. But he wants to help out with the sort of chopping wood and all this. Um, You get the feeling it is a bit of a sort of healing process for him, this, until the short, sharp end of it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, until the inevitable bloodshed. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I agree with that. And what's interesting is um, you're never going to see him as a character. I don't think he's ever going to have that moment where he completely changes how he talks about things.
0: Mm.
1: You know, I don't think you're ever going to see him kind of become sort of slightly unsure with himself kind of you know i've repented and therefore that means i need to become a much less interesting person type Mm. so he's never going to get down on his knees and go you're right seven save me but there's something far deeper going on where he's actually encountering the possibility of redemption here which is beautiful Mm. um yeah i think you're right i think these scenes have been really interesting you know even though um (laughs) i am not a true believer and uh, and they, uh, you know, I, I uh, the only thing I truly believe is that D.B. Weiss and David Benioff are going to kill everybody before the end of
0: this series. <laughs> yeah. Um, just on cue, these three riders appear. At first, when these riders appear in the distance, I thought, oh, this is going to be Brienne, because she comes to this yeah. area um, in the books. But it's not. It's these three guys who talk about protecting the people and say very sinisterly, um, the night is dark and full of terrors. Um, uh, th- this guy's cast perfectly, the guy, the lead guy, with his sort of little beady eyes and his big beard. He's just sort of perfect sort of shifty, dangerous guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, I mean, who are these guys? Because well, we're, th- led, we're led to believe, from the way they're talking, it's the Brotherhood Without Banners, yeah?
1: Yeah. Well, I thought the guy in the middle was fairly clearly Beric Darian. I thought no. they put a good hairpiece on him and got got a good <laughs> beard out of his face, but I thought that was that was the actor who played Beric Dondarrion. I thought
0: no, no, I'm pretty sure it isn't. Are you I'm pretty sure sure that's not? Yeah, yeah. He... Um,
1: okay, fair enough, fair enough. But he looked a lot like it to me. Like it looked, he looked like he way he looked it he could have been.
0: Yeah, well, that's interesting because I because I actually don't think that this is the Brotherhood. Um, I think the reason we haven't seen anyone recognizable from the Brotherhood as part of them is because there was a plot in the sort of earlier parts of the sort of, I think, second or third book where Mm. um, basically it was the mountain was sending out detachments of men, Lannister men, um, without their Lannister armour to go and basically slaughter small folk and slaughter peasants. Um, Yeah pretending to be the Brotherhood, basically to stop the peasants helping the Brotherhood in hiding them. And I just wonder if this is sort of a, a version of that because it's so out of character for the Brotherhood Without Banners to do this. The whole point of them is to protect the defenseless.
1: That's true. Although I thought that maybe this was just I think that well, the Brotherhood of Banners have always balanced on a knife edge, haven't they? Hmm. And um and we've definitely seen them become more um Violent, yeah. With the with the Lady Stoneheart stuff, which we've only really glimpsed in the TV, in in the book, yeah, yeah. So you know, so I I mean, it could be it could be that these are that we just see in the Brotherhood without Banners move further and further away from their Robin Hood shtick and more and more towards a mafia shtick, yeah, inspired by the brutality demanded by Lady Stoneheart,
0: yeah. But but I mean, with the mafia stuff what you the way that works is you ask for payment and if you don't get it then you sort of obviously there are consequences but this yeah. is that this is the mafia stuff without asking for the payment no they did they did they, they oh well maybe they were doing it very subtly but i thought they
1: they they rode up and they were like we're here to protect the people and he goes cool and they go hungry work protecting the people yeah got any iron no got any wood some you know what I mean? Mm. Like, I like, I thought it was it was a sort of, it was that very mafia, very bullying thing of, like, kind of, you know, nice life you've got here. Like you said, you know, yeah. but, shame but, if anybody were to ruin it.
0: But the Septon's response is the correct one. He's like, yeah, come and have the food if you want, you know, whatever you need, we can help you out with. Yeah, no, but no, he doesn't,
1: though. He says, you, we've got food, but we can't give you all of it. We've got a lot of people to look after.
0: Oh uh, Yeah, I suppose he does, yeah. So mm. he
1: he kind of he pushes back a bit, you know. He's very welcoming in his own terms, mm. but he's not about to give everything away. And so mm. I, I I still think, on balance, there's a there's a chance this is the Brotherhood. But I think you've you've made a decent argument. Mm. But I, ooh, I'm interested though, yeah, because I, I just it seemed clear to me. But now you've you've got me doubting.
0: Well, it felt to me like they they rode up and there's a sort of a reconnaissance part, just saying, you know, what have you got? Is it worth us coming, robbing you blind? Um, and they decided that it, obviously from what happens at the end, it was worth them doing that. The The reason I don't think it's the Brotherhood is, um, you write that in the, as it goes on in the books, they become more and more merciless and more and more violent, but that violence and sort of lack of mercy is always very clearly directed at people they feel um sort of morally deserve it so they yeah. massacre the basically the people who massacred the small folk and they um hunt down and kill any Freys and lannisters they can find but it's never direct there, there always seems to be even with the sort of merciless violent version of them a very clear code of what they're trying to do and mm. this just seems to go against it to go against it so i'm I'll be a bit disappointed if this is the Brotherhood without banners but it entirely could be so yeah
1: well i i just think yeah i mean you're right but i think this could be a way of them doing a storyline about the fall of the red god religion you know we've got a fairly good pitch Mm. now for the you know the the rising violence and falling moral authority of the seven religion of the seven um but we don't really have it with the red god yet but you could well see how somebody being resurre- resurrected by the Red God, Lady Stoneheart, and I bet somebody's gone. I bet actually, I bet what it is is um, uh, what's his name, Thoros of Mir has gone, pointed at Lady Stoneheart and gone, "She is a High reborn." <laughs> <laughs> Another one, and um, uh, and and you know they've just been completely led off track by this increasingly extremist religious philosophy.
0: Mm. Um,
1: mm. So yeah, but I uh, will see. Yeah, interesting.
0: Yeah, um, We then move on to oh, Strap yourself in Because uh, Super Arya Beatdown Party 99 Is about Oof. to get a, a gritty reboot uh, It's about to go all Mortal Kombat <laughs> <laughs> As um, as Arya tries to buy passage on a boat <clears throat> Succeeds in doing that
1: With as a plomb as well, doesn't she?
0: Yeah, as a wanderer around Taking in some of the sights of Bravos. Um <laughs>
1: Yeah, almost. You can almost hear the nostalgic music playing, can't you? So, oh, I'm gonna miss this place. It's like leaving high
0: school. Yeah.
1: Oh, you know, I hated it at the time, but now I'm leaving. Oh,
0: yeah. And then gets. this old lady comes up, sweet girl, and immediately thinking, oh no. And then she yeah, gets, totally. <laughs> she gets shanked by the wave, and then oh. manages to throw herself into the canal and survive. But we end with You her... wouldn't call that
1: a survival strategy, would you? <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. We end with her sort of staggering through the market, um, obviously bleeding heavily from two stab wounds to her stomach. Yeah. Um Oh shit, is this is this the end of the road for Aya? If it is
1: <laughs> if it is, man, <laughs> I am going to be
0: furious.
1: <laughs> Heads will roll. <laughs> Honestly, like, you must be kidding me. She's going to walk around Westeros for five books. She's going to go and get beaten up to no discernible purpose for a book and a half. And then she's going to get killed in three minutes at the end of the episode. <laughs> is she? Is she really? Mm? But
0: I can't see a way out of it.
1: I, can you? I can't see anywhere out of it.
0: Yeah, this is it. I've... I... Was watching it thinking well how on earth is this going to realistically be resolved without her dying um, I could think of one or two ma- major possibilities, one is she needs to be found by a friendly person and nursed back to health which is possible I suppose um, candidates for that I was thinking that I think the most likely is maybe Lady Crane sort of a uh, returning the favor of saving her life, and it, that that'd be quite interesting because it'd say a lot about sort of karma and, you know, oh, yeah. the yeah. gifts of death and all this. Mm. I think mm-hmm. I think that's the most likely for me that she staggers into the after seeing all these people who are just looking at her and won't help her. She sort mm. of staggers into the arms of this woman that she saved her life a while back. Mm. Um. <laughs> there's a there's a theory continuing to go round. There's a theory that won't die, that Syrio um, C- C- Pharrell turns up and say, <laughs> so he, so just swings in.
1: <laughs> Actually, that's now become more plausible out of sheer necessity, hasn't it? Like, who yeah. else? Bravosi is going to be nice to her, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. And he, that would give you the option, the sort of chance to have a, quite a badass line where he, he would just say, "What do we say to the God of Death? Not today." Um, as he saves her. But I still think it I still think Cereal died back in series one, so um, yeah, me I find too. that hard like, to believe.
1: I, I love the Syrio the Sirio plan, but mm. if that's yeah, like we said last week, that's now become increasingly untenable.
0: Yeah. The other is uh, possibility is Jake and Hagar. Um this takes a bit of explaining into, but the idea is that um he said to the waif, make it quick and kill her. And the waif not only has failed to kill her, but tried to kill her slowly as well. Like by, yeah, some... by stabbing her in
1: the gut. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So basically, under whatever weird sort of uh rules that the that the sort of faceless men have, this has sort of given Arya an out and now she's going to be saved and the waif is killed instead. That's possible. Um Yeah. But again, I can see problems with with that. Um yeah. there's another The final one, the craziest sounding one for me, um, is that this isn't Arya, it's somebody with an Arya mask on, and that uh, this was a test for the waif to see if she really would kill her outright. So we're not actually seeing Arya staggering around stabbed, it's somebody else pretending to be her. Um, This fits in with the whole swapping identities idea, But I don't know, how would you feel about that? It'd feel a little bit Dallas to me, this. It'd feel a bit, it was all (laughs) a dream.
1: Yeah, it would, wouldn't it? And that's, yeah, that's well said. That's exactly how it would feel. You'd be like, oh, really? Mm. All right then, okay. But, uh, you know, it's not even the 10th time that that's happened in this TV series, you know? So, Mm. um, given that that's a part of their storytelling um, apparatus, it's very possible. It's Mm. very, very possible.
0: And of course, the final option is that she actually does just die. Yeah. Um, But I would put, if I was to bet, I would say it's the Lady Crane one of those. But I don't know what you think.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I think if any of those, it's Lady Crane. But actually, I thought, and and I I definitely think that if she does die, it's really bad storytelling (laughs) on their part. Um, But on the other hand, there was something incredibly stark about that last. Um, that last scene with her staggering through the marketplace with this sort of crowd pile in front of her and not a friend to be found. Um, you know, just, I mean, if part of the point of the story is about, you know, kind of the the, the viciousness of random chance, then maybe it does make sense for her story arc to end there and it's mm. just about this massive... You know, this kind of like, you You know, you can be as resourceful as you want and lucky as you want and change in response to promises of safety as much as you want, you're still going to get killed. Hmm. Uh, which wouldn't be a million miles away from what I think has been the sort of philosophical approach of the TV series to this point. So,
0: hmm.
1: she could. I'd be, I'd be really angry if she does, but
0: she could. Well, we shall see. Speaking of dead, we then go back to Super Happy Land of the Hound's. And um, when we last left, the hound was chopping wood and said, oh, I'll I'll come over to uh, to have some soup in a bit. He goes over to get his soup and he finds everybody dead and Septim Maribald has been hung. And here's the sort of downbeat end uh, that we, well, that we predicted at the start, so that I heard yep. you predict at the start, even though you weren't sitting with me. <laughs> yeah. Good to be right, isn't it?
1: Ah, yeah. oh, I'm overjoyed, mate. I really <laughs> am.
0: Yeah, so, um, and that's where we end, and we end with sort of the hound picking up the axe, looking up, we're in Robot House! <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and vows to take revenge on the people who did this.
1: Is that our first future armour reference? I think it might be.
0: <laughs> yeah. There we go. Okay. Good episode.
1: Cool. Yeah, very good episode.
0: Well, that brings um, to an end our uh, sort of recap of the uh, episode seven of series six, The Broken Man. If you have any feedback to send on, us uh, on any of this, you can send it to Podcast at gmail.com. That's Podcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter, at Royal. And all that remains for us is to say, if you want to keep listening to a few fan theories about the future, that's going to come up as we enter the music, and then after the music, enter Matt's bunker full of spoilers. Cue the music. The door opening, Dave, and the bunker full <laughs> is it spoilers it? yeah, thought it was a puppy. no, we have one, two, three, four, five, six spoilers left. Can you believe that um this wow. week <clears throat> rather predictably, considering that this is this is I normally give you a choice we've got six we've got the rat king, Roose is loose, Georgian paste, dragon riders. Uh, Sons of the ID, us oh, riding the dragon. Sorry, Sons of the ID and Bowl. We're going to do Bowl <laughs> this week, simply because yes. of what's happened in yes. the episode. They're, that- they're still one step ahead <clears throat> of you, aren't they, Matt? They are the bastards. Um, part of this theory has been basically blown out of the water insofar as it being a theory anymore. It's now fact. But um, <laughs> so the idea is. So- <laughs> surprise, surprise, that the Hound, Sander Clegane, isn't actually dead. Um, your suspicions may first have been aroused by his appearance in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> You're really wishing we'd gone onto that last week, hadn't you? <laughs> yeah. So, um, in the books, this isn't obviously, um, this isn't clear yet, but in the books there's this guy, um, when Septon Moribold visits the Quiet Isle, um, there's this guy, big bloke in a hood, who's digging a grave. Do you remember? Yeah. Um, basically, he is... It's believed that he's the Hound. And um, when se- when the... So this guy who found him says that the Hound is dead. He means that in a sort of figurative sense, in that Oh, sort of the, he's the, dead. Yeah. yeah. The, the violent man's died, and, you know, he's been reborn as this other guy. Yeah. Um, yeah so all of that part of it really I'm not gonna go into much further because i mean the series is is pretty much it's pretty much confirmed that he's he's basically doing the same thing um he is the gravedigger but sort of in a sort of truncated version for the t v series um the other part of this is robert strong um is, in fact, The Mountain, which, again, the series has made explicit, hasn't it? And to be honest, the books, we we were sort of had a bit of fun with that, haven't we? We've said, surely everybody knows that this guy is The Mountain reanimated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, The bit that we still haven't seen, and that may or may not be true, is the idea that these two brothers, feuding brothers, um, will go one-on-one... In the arena, um, as part of this Cersei's trial by combat, and Ooh. that Ooh. What the, how's he going to get all the way back there? I don't know, but so <laughs> so Cersei obviously is going to choose the mountain for her champion, and the idea is that now that Sandor has um, been almost sort of uh, brought back and saved by the Seven, that the 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 faith will choose him as their champion. It does take a bit of work to get him down to King's Landing, now, doesn't it? But
1: it certainly does, and it also takes quite a bit of work to get the Seven into the miraculous signs and wonders business, where previously they've been in the, you know, carefully manipulative moral <laughs> philosophy <laughs> business.
0: Right? Yeah, yeah, but I suppose from a practical point of view, he is a total badass. If you're going to want someone yeah. to go up against the mountain. Maybe he's your man.
1: Yeah, and he'd have all sorts of thematic strength, but I don't think he's quite become enough of a true believer hmm. at this point. I feel I still think he's in the process of working out what he thinks.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think from a point of view of him not really believing in anything, he, he, he does hate his brother, and maybe he just thinks, yeah, why not? I'll try and kill my brother. As good a, as good a fight as any.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's been looking for that fight his entire life. But again, if he think if the whole essence of him embracing the Seven is that the old man is dead, yeah. then what on earth is he doing carrying on his grudge against his brother?
0: Yeah. Do you know I what I mean? Th- I think the old man might have got a, um, a bit of CPR with him walking around seeing what happened to all those people who were being nice <laughs> to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, you <laughs> might be onto something there. But it's still going to be hard for him to blame that on his brother. Although, actually, no, you're onto something there, aren't you? Because you're saying it's these people who've been sent off to to journey around by the mountain way back when. Yeah. So if they're not, in fact, the Brotherhood without banners, and they are the, they are just some random wankers sent out by the mountain, that yeah. would be enough to get him on a horse, wouldn't it?
0: So could we see a couple of episodes here of almost like the Hound detective work, where he goes and hunts down these guys who he thinks are the Brotherhood, Gets a confession out of them where they say, "Oh no, we were we were told to do it by someone in King's Landing." Goes down to King's Landing and then starts cleaning house down there. That's possible.
1: It certainly is. Yeah, although I think I see him still dying at the end of it. To be honest, but
0: yeah, uh, would you, would
1: but you... yeah, that is possible. And and I like that we've now in, we've now invoked the possibility of the real Inspector Hound.
0: Hey, <laughs> eh? eh? so would your money be on the mountain in a one-on-one fight? The zombie mountain.
1: Yeah, because I don't like him and because George Martin's got a fascination with zombies. I think those two <laughs> things in combination usually add up to somebody winning a fight, right?
0: Yeah, I'd be gutted if he got all the way down there and then got beaten by the home. It'd be like your team getting to the cup final and losing.
1: Yeah, it would be exactly like that, yes. <laughs> and that's... Which I know about this year, thanks very much, Yeah,
0: <laughs> And that's almost exactly the reason why that's going to happen this way, actually, isn't it? <laughs> 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 yeah, that's
1: exactly it. <laughs>
0: Um, and the other thing about the um, the Cleganebowl thing it feeds into this idea of the Valonqar, which we were talking talking about before, the prophecy that says that the little brother will end up getting you killed, um, which was said to Cersei. And obviously, the Hound is the little brother of the um, Mountain. If he kills the Mountain, that will end end with Cersei getting killed. So again, yeah, there's something in that. Yeah, I sometimes think. With George Martin as well, he does these prophecies and then writes the story to sort of fulfil them. So that kind of yeah. makes a bit of sense. But, yeah. um, but what do you yeah. think overall? A on the possibility of this actually happening, and B, yeah, as you've said, why you think the mountain's gonna gonna beat him if that's the case?
1: Um, it's. I think it. I would think it was total nonsense. But actually, there are a few things about how stories tend to get told in this universe where I'm like, hmm. <laughs> maybe Maybe um, So that could be a thing um, Why I think the Mountain's going to win Is just because he's like hes You don't create a, a, an unstoppable badass And then have him stopped mm. You know what I mean uh, mm. Unless the unstoppable badass is Ned Stark And somebody that you really like <laughs> I have no reason to like the Mountain So he's going to stay alive Um <laughs> <laughs> um I just I, I, I shouldn't harp on that too much because yeah, Joffrey died and you know other people who are horrendous have died, so you know, possibly. But um uh still though, you know, I, I think it's more likely that the mountain will win than the hound will win because that would be the that would be the appropriate tragic story arc, wouldn't it? Mm. You know, he goes away, he follows his own you know, he follows his own malevolent instincts, he gets killed. Um, as a result of them. He comes back from the dead, he goes through a whole character transformation and he meets his nemesis and dies again. <laughs> that rather than, and then he wins, you know, like yeah. he dies again. That's that's very much a, a kind of tragic story arc that I reckon George will get right alongside.
0: Yeah. If the Clegane Bowl does happen, we will, we will have to make sure that we're eating a massive roast chicken while watching it. Just in tribute <laughs> to Sander. <laughs>
1: yes, we will. Absolutely, I might need two chickens. Actually, we've talked so much today. I
0: might need two chickens. <laughs> You're really going to die over a couple of chickens. Someone is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like that in your hindbrain. Sander Clegane's voice gets redubbed by Christian Bale as Batman.
0: <laughs> yeah. Just in general, with the the hound coming back to life, I mean, it's another resurrection. Um, y- yes. Character resurrection yes, again. I mean, are we going yeah. to. I assume next week we're going to see, like, the walking, talking corpse of Renly Baratheon or someone like <laughs> that. <turn up. laughs> it is getting a bit of handless, isn't it?
1: Yes, it is. Yes, yes it very much is. And, um, yeah, I don't mind if all of this leads up to Ned Stark coming back. I'm bang on board. But <laughs> yeah. probably not, though, eh?
0: Yeah, someone found a. Uh, Shard of Ned's bone, and some witch did a incantation over it, and someone stitched his head back on, and here he comes. and here he you comes. Never you never know. But anyway, that yeah. was the that's the theory for this week. We're only going to do one because um, we're a bit tight for time this week because we've we've, um, we've done quite a lot on the episode. But um, fear not, we've still got five still got five theories. Um, I'm sure another one of those will be have a hole blown <laughs> in it next week, <laughs> so we could <can> do that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but if not we'll move on to a couple of others next week. Uh, but if you've got your own theories, as ever, you can send them in royal podcast at gmail.com that's at Shark royal Podcast at GMO.com you can also get us on Twitter at Shark Until next time. Till next time, Matt. See you later. I'm gonna have to eat every fucking chicken in this room. <laughs>